My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. It's my honor to be with you this morning to, uh, to preach, uh, to start our new sermon series that we are calling I Am Yours as we look at the I Am statements of the Gospels as Jesus tries to make clear to us what it means uh, for him to be the Messiah and, and what it means for us to believe in God in light of who Christ is. Uh, today we begin with the Gospel of John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, as Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd. I invite you to rise as you are able for the reading of God's word this morning. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some headlines to consider as we begin our message this morning. Smoking gun evidence that 9-11 was an inside job. Why people think Sandy Hook is a hoax. Government weather manipulation exposed. Hillary caught on tape birthing alien life form. (laughs) CIA analyst says we are all going to die. Or my personal favorite, Chuck Norris takes on chemtrails. If these sound ridiculous to you, it's because they are. These are titles of some popular videos from the YouTube channel for InfoWars, an alternative news site run by one Alex Jones, famous for his angry, over-the-top style and views that range from odd to absurd to funny to offensive and downright dangerous. And before you write him or his crackpot theories off as inconsequential, you should know something. Those six headlines, those six videos I mentioned have a total of over 6 million views on YouTube alone, not counting views he gets from his own personal website. Of course, if you visit his website, you'll find that not only is he peddling conspiracies, he is also selling supplements, home accessories, and survival kits. And guess what, church? Everything's on sale. Alex Jones is far from the first person to profit off of fear and false claims. Fraudulent faith healers, multi-level marketing or pyramid schemes, snake oil salesmen, the list could go on. There have always been those who try to manipulate others into giving up their money, their resources, or even themselves. A manipulation born out of getting people to believe they have woken up 
to something that most others cannot see. For instance, the Church of Scientology has built a small empire since its founding by science fiction author L. Ron Hubbard in 1954. As followers attempt to go clear through a series of tests, they can spend an estimated $128,000 for the privilege of living the enlightened life. Or the Flat Earth Society, which maintains that we don't live on a globe but on a flat disk, They're seeing an increase in membership and support in recent years as more and more people ask whether we can really trust shady government organizations like NASA and silly things like photographic evidence to prove the Earth is indeed a globe. And Netflix. Netflix just released a documentary series called Wild Wild Country, which tells the story of a failed religious commune in rural Oregon, the Rajneeshpuram led by a spiritualist from India named Bhagwan. Members were expected to wear maroon clothing, gigam, work tirelessly for the good of the community, and take part in bizarre group meditation rituals where clothes and social norms were rarely present. What is it that leads people to believe that L. Ron Hubbard figured out the meaning of life, or that the earth is flat, Or that a new age guru is worth dying or worse over. Or that Chuck Norris has uncovered proof of the chemtrail conspiracy. Because we don't want to be sheep. We don't want to be sheep. We don't want to feel like somehow someone has pulled the wool over our eyes. We hate the idea that somehow, in some way, we don't see things the way they really are. And so at our weakest, we begin to listen to even the craziest of ideas because the more you think about it, if you really listen to them, what if they're right, right? Jesus is speaking to a crowd with similar concerns in the 10th chapter of John's gospel. In the chapter before this one, Jesus heals a man of blindness and is put under investigation by local religious authorities who simply cannot allow themselves to believe that Jesus might actually be capable of this miracle. Or if he is, then something more sinister is going on. And in the verses that follow the ones we heard this morning, they are so suspicious of this supposed Messiah that they are on the brink of stoning him for blasphemy. Tell us plainly, they say. Tell us if you are the Messiah. They're terrified that somehow they're missing something, that someone has made a fool of them. I've told you plainly, Jesus says. You just haven't listened. Jesus tells them what it means for him to be Messiah, what it means for God to be here on earth by telling them what it means to be a shepherd and a good shepherd at that. Jesus lays it out for them in the verses we just heard, but they, they miss it entirely. And maybe they miss it for a good reason. When Jesus talks about himself as a good shepherd and talks to us, to us as though we are sheep, the gut reaction for many of us and certainly for those listening in his day would be to say, hey, I'm no sheep, Jesus. Thank you very much. Maybe this is what made Jesus' own listeners miss the point. Maybe they didn't like the idea of being referred to as sheep. But immediately Jesus confronts our expectation of the sheep-shepherd analogy. See, normally when we hear people being referred to as sheep, we tend to think that the sheep are there to serve the shepherd. The sheep are there to benefit the shepherd. The sheep are there to be used and abused by an evil shepherd. 
And yet that is not what Jesus says at all. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you know what that is? $250. That is how much a young, healthy female sheep costs on average, according to my quick Google search. Now, I know I'm a city boy, Stan, but I think the math checks out. $250 for a sheep. Does that sound about right? He's not a sheep man. Okay. (laughs) You ought to get some sheep. $250, I can find you a good one on Google. In Jesus' day, $250 would have been about 15 silver coins. Two sheep would have been about 30 silver coins. Where have we heard that number before? Who would give their life for $250? Let's be honest, most of us are not going to fight a wolf if he has his eye on the sheep. I have a dog, Reagan and I adopted a dog when we first got married. We've had her for over six years, and I promise you, I love my dog. If we were out for a walk, and not just a big dog. I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with those before. But if a wolf rounded the corner, snarling, my dog's on her own. <laughs> I'm running the other way. In fact, I know that my dog can run faster than me, so I'm probably going to need a head start. Yeah? And if you're being honest, you're probably in the same boat as well. Most of us are not going to put ourselves in the way of a wolf. Which is why Jesus' opening statement is so amazing to me. That God, the good shepherd, would lay down his life for the sheep. It's the polar opposite of me at my most selfish. I imagine it's the polar opposite of most of us. It's certainly the polar opposite of anyone who would manipulate or mislead others for their own personal gain. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I think conspiracies and cults are so good at what they do because they convince you that you'll be a part of an exclusive group who have tapped into some sort of knowledge or some sort of power that is not available to the average person. Whether it's the truth or healing or existential power of some sort, there is something you can have that a select few will ever get to enjoy. Exclusivity sells. Amen? It sells luxury homes, gated communities, country club memberships, box suites at events. We love the idea that we can have something reserved for a select few. Which again, Jesus turns on its head when he says that there are other sheep outside our flock that belong to him as well. Not very exclusive, is it? Who wants to be in a flock that just anyone can join? And when Jesus told this story, he was speaking in parable about how the tribe of Israel God's original chosen people would soon be expanded to include people of all nations through his own death and resurrection. The Jewish people had a history in many ways defined by being chosen, by being exclusive, by having numerous enemies, taken into captivity by Egypt, fighting with numerous tribes for their nationhood, exiled into Babylon, bordered by Persia and Assyria, oppressed and conquered by the Romans in Jesus' own day. The list was long. 
the idea of sheep safely kept in a providential pen made sense to the people of Israel. And so when Jesus preaches about a flock expanding, a a unified flock of sheep from pastures all over the world, what may sound inspiring to those of us with 21st century globally minded sensibilities would have actually been frightening or even offensive to many listening on that day. Because once you've been included, if you've been through what it takes to make it into the pen, when you hear someone suggest loosening the regulations or broadening the invitation, well, that just doesn't sit right. Because you earned it. You worked for it. In that wild, wild country documentary I mentioned earlier about the Rajneeshpuram community in Oregon, I was blown away by the kinds of tasks these people would be willing to do in the name of this cult. One woman from Australia, highly educated, left her husband and her child, flew to India where the group was at the time. And she went there wanting to be a part of it and to work for this community. She probably expected to be put to some sort of office work, maybe in the marketing group or or maybe to go out and evangelize. She scrubbed toilets for a year in a hippie commune in India. Now those are some toilets to scrub. She earned meals and a bed and little else. And that's a frequent tactic in groups that manipulate and work in exclusivity. They make you earn your place frequently through your blood and your sweat and your own humiliation. But Jesus, Jesus isn't like the other hired hands we see in the world. Jesus doesn't make us earn a thing. He doesn't sell us on exclusivity. In fact, he takes the cost on himself with his own blood, his own sweat, and yes, his own humiliation. For this reason, the father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. No one takes it from me. That line gives me pause. No one takes my life from me. It's easy in this Easter season to see Jesus as one who was beaten, bruised, taken advantage of, by the powers that be in his day. But here Jesus is saying, that's not exactly what happened. No one takes my life from me, he says. No one takes my life from me. It makes me think of the leaders of these groups that manipulate through conspiracy or cult. When they're backed into a corner, what do they do time and time again? They fight back without fail because they're not interested in self-sacrifice. Alex Jones has countless videos of him aggressively confronting people at rallies or advocating for violence. Scientology led a rare victorious campaign against the IRS to gain a tax-exempt status as a religious organization. And anyone who chooses to leave their faith is ostracized and harassed and in many cases physically abused. And at the height of their power and conflict with local governments, the Rajneeshipuram cult in Oregon was responsible for a bioterror attack that killed more than 750 people in the Dallas, Oregon area through intentional contamination of salad bars. In fact, the second in command of the group, a woman named Sheila, 
doesn't that name strike fear into your bones? Sheila. She's shown on videos saying, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Gandhi. When Jesus says you turn the other cheek, we say you take both of their cheeks. Wow. When push came to shove, without fault, without fail, rather, cults and conspiracy peddlers push back frequently to violent ends. But Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus is God incarnate. This is a basic doctrine of the Christian church. God here on earth with all of the power and glory that God has is manifested in Jesus Christ. He has the power to move mountains, the power to still storms, the power to even raise the dead. And yet when faced with torture and death, his own torture and death at the hands of an unchecked empire, what does he do? He simply accepts. Jesus is a terrible cult leader. Every whip that he allowed on his back, every nail he allowed in his hands, every drop of spit he allowed to touch his skin, all of it was born out of a love and out of a care for a bunch of rebellious sheep. And when we talk in the church about Jesus laying down his life, we do so because we must remind ourselves that Jesus' death and resurrection were a choice, not a series of unfortunate events but a conscious choice made by a God so madly in love with his sheep the whole world over that he would be willing to endure the awful everything on our behalf. And so how do we respond to a love like that? The love of a good shepherd. I think first we have to stop and acknowledge that as much as we may hate the idea, we are sheep. Say bah with me. Bah. You sound good, church. We can trick ourselves into thinking that we've become enlightened, that we've somehow transcended into some higher level of understanding, but the reality is we all follow somebody. We all have a favorite news station, a favorite newspaper, a favorite opinion writer, a favorite blogger. And certainly we would not think of ourselves as sheep. But when something significant happens in our world, who do you look to for a reaction to know what do they think about this? Is it Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow? Is it the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal? Is it your church or your pastor? And it's not a bad thing to follow people. It's not a bad thing to look and to listen to others and to consider what it is that they're saying and to even support their voice and their perspective and their ideals. It's a dangerous thing to do that and to not realize you're doing that. To think you're independent when you're really not. Which leads to the second more critical point this morning. If we accept that we are sheep, choosing our shepherd becomes incredibly important. The more I live, the more I realize that Bob Dylan was onto something when he said this in a song. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to save somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to save somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to save somebody. In this life, we're going to have to serve somebody. It's true. 
whether we serve a leader or a conspiracy or a cult or our money or our boss or ourselves. We're going to have to serve somebody. And who better to serve than the one who displays servant leadership, who would lay down his life for the sake of his sheep, who would lead an ever-expanding flock, who would seek out and save the lost like you and me, who would offer his blood and his sweat and his humiliation in our place. Who better to serve than a good shepherd like Christ? In a world of conspiracies and cults of sheep growing ever more disappointed with hired hands, Jesus offers us a new way, a new path, a new style of living, not built on exclusivity and earned rewards, but rather on grace and mercy and his own self-sacrifice. This Sunday, I hear the shepherd calling my name to you. Maybe you've been comfortably at home in the flock for many years now and you hear the shepherd calling you to make room for another. Maybe you've been wandering the countryside in the wilderness and you hear an unfamiliar voice so different from the hired hands you followed before, but this good shepherd is calling you home. The good shepherd is calling us all to look first to his hand to look first to his staff, to listen first for his voice, to find leaders in this world and to hold them in a critical eye, to trust and obey the Lord above all others and to be thankful for a God who would hold us in such high regard. Church, it's good to be a sheep when you've got a good shepherd. Amen.